This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. We have a dog. Her name is Sasha. She's almost four. She's a standard poodle. She's got curly, fluffy, soft black hair, and she's very adorable. And she's a part of our family, and we care a lot about taking good care of her. And that includes feeding her high-quality dog food like Merrick's. Founded in Hereford, Texas, Merrick has been crafting high-quality dog food for over 30 years. Real is Merrick's recipe. They always use deboned meat, fish, or poultry as the number one ingredient. Merrick creates homestyle recipes like Real Texas Beef and Sweet Potato or Grammy's Pot Pie, so you can feel good about what you're feeding your pet. I mean, you know, you come home from being out, and your dog is there to greet you, and, like, that's one of the best things about having a pet, you know? You come home, the dog's happy to see you, and they're hungry. And you want to reciprocate that good feeling they give you. When you walk in the door, you want to give to them in the form of some high-quality food. So check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. Gochujang is fermented soy and chili paste. We love it. It's another staple in our home. It's almost like if miso had a baby with mole. It's like miso in its bad boy phase. Whoa. It's like fiery, it's spicy, it's <laughs> sassy. Miso that's been hanging out with the wrong crowd. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Deep Dish, the show where we do deep dives on dishes we love and then we cook them. I'm Sola. And I'm Ham. We're married. And we're chefs. We nerd out on food together all day long. And we love learning about the stories behind different dishes and ingredients. Now we're going to do all that nerding out on this podcast. In each episode of Deep Dish, we'll deep dive into the story behind a food. Then we'll head home to our kitchen and see what we feel inspired to cook up. Today's story, a brief history of Korea as told through a rice cake. I like have this theory. I feel like I've told you about this a lot, but I feel like when you immigrate to this country or you like are first generation, you really are frozen in your culture at that time. Like my parents are frozen in Bangladesh in the 1970s. And like that's, that's what, when they moved. That's what we that's like the culture I was raised in. That's the culture that my sister continues in like 1970s Bangladesh uh, values. When you leave a country, you 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 feel like you have to hold on to those values so tightly. The values that you remember. Uh-huh. It's like hard to evolve and you see it with food and you see it with a lot of other things. But in Bangladesh, all my cousins are like way more modern. They're way more interesting with their food. They're way more uh, diverse with their cuisine and their culture. And they're way more open-minded. The people who left, they can get more hung up on the correct, authentic way to make something. They want the version they remember or grew up with. Maybe it's an effort to hold on to a piece of yourself that you feel like you're losing when you come here. But what if there was a third way? that nods to history and nostalgia while also evolving. That possibility is why I was really excited to talk to Jihae Kim. Are you the solo of uh, New York Times? Uh, yes, I am. Oh my God! <laughs> okay, I'm totally fangirling. Okay. <laughs> that, was, that was nice of her. Yeah, that was, that was very, very nice. <laughs> so Jihae was born in Seoul and came to the U.S. at 13. She's the chef and owner of the Korean restaurant Miss Kim in Ann Arbor, Michigan. When she started planning her menu for her restaurant, she fell down a bit of a Korean food history rabbit hole. A lot of her research focused on one dish in particular, a dish that's tied up with the history of Korea itself, and that has special significance for Jihae. That dish is tteokbokki. Tteokbokki are Korean rice cakes, 
Sometimes when people hear rice cake, they think of those like puffy, crispy Quaker rice cakes that I like to put peanut butter on. But that's not what this is. This is going to be like chewy, almost like a mochi, like a dumpling, thick noodle kind of situation. Oh, they're delicious. And you can find them in all different shapes. They have them flattened. They got them long and cylindrical. It can be stewed or sauteed or skewered. Yeah, I think my favorite traditional Korean way is when it's braised in that fiery red sauce uh-huh. and it has fish cakes. With tons of gochujang. Mm-hmm. That's that's my favorite way because I love the interplay between like the dense chewy fish cake and then the more tender chewy tteokbokki. It, this is a noodle for people who love texture. Yes. It's all about the texture. And in South Korea, it's the quintessential street food. And it's like number one thing to order for your delivery apps. So is there something, is there a food in the U.S. that you could compare it to? Oh, I think the closest thing I can think of is um, hot dogs or pizza, something that common Uh, and easily accessible and cheap. And as a food-obsessed kid growing up in South Korea, Jihae had a special interest in tteokbokki. When I was first grade, I was allowed to start walking to school by myself, and I always chose the route that walked through the uh, traditional food market. By second grade, she sees all these food vendors near her school, and she wants some of that street food. I mean, how can you not? Oh, of course. I I feel like every time you walk by someone making tteokbokki and you just smell that, like, kind of spicy, kind of sweet scent in Uh the air, it it makes you you hungry. Yeah, uh, but she had a little problem. (laughs) My mom was sort of like a matriarch. She's the firstborn of her generation, and she didn't believe in really going out to eat, and she certainly did not believe in street food. And my mom disapproved this very much and called it a delinquent food. Why was she against the street food? Do you have an idea? Oh, she's like too salty, too heavy, not clean, not sanitary, not a homemade food. And then she was slightly personally offended. Why would you want to eat any other food than the food that your mom labored to make for you? Sounds just like my mom. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All all the wrong things Uh were tteokbokki in her mind. The guilt trip. The classic classic Asian parent guilt trip. Uh Uh-huh. It's mm-hmm. like how your mom would never get you a hot pocket. You had to wait until you're an adult with your own money to get a hot pocket. Not my own money, the New York Times money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My mom was exactly like this, and it drove me crazy because all I wanted was nachos Belgrande. So Jihei's in the same position. But when she's walking to school, those tteokbokki street vendors are very tempting. Now remember, she doesn't have cash. She is a child. (laughs) (laughs) But she sees other kids in her class eating tteokbokki, and she's wondering how the hell are they pulling this off. One day I saw a classmate uh, hand a milk carton to the vendor, and the vendor just handed him five sticks of tteokbokki. What's really interesting is that there was no discussion. Like, it was a silent trade. So this is like a pre-discussed agreement. It was just milk for tteokbokki. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So she wanted to give it a shot, see if she could pull off this trade just like the other kids. So I held on to my milk for like four hours <laughs> at room temperature in my bag. Uh-huh. Horrible. And then I, I waited until the class was out, and then I would hand it to her, and then she would quietly hand me a plate of uh, tteokbokki, and that's my first experience enjoying the tteokbokki. And my mom actually still doesn't know this story. Jihei still remembers her first bite of tteokbokki. I remember the texture being very comforting. 
because it's soft and chewy. And it was just a little bit spicy. So it was a little more uh, spicier than I was accustomed to as a child that my mom allowed. But it was also sweeter than my mom's cooking. And I think what I really tasted was mischief. It, it felt like out of norm and I was doing something wrong and it was very fun. It became a really big problem. There was more than a few kids trading milk for tteokbokki. So it became such a big issue at her school that the authorities had to step in. <laughs> there was this announcement that you shouldn't do that. It's against the rule. But if you come clean, we'll forgive you. I think that the school made a big mistake by mm -hmm. making this announcement. It kind of reminds me of the D.A.R.E. program, mm -hmm. where all it did was teach me about drugs and uh -huh, make and me want to do it more. And then you, I was and like, then oh, let's curious. find this gateway drug. <laughs> so I'm sure they made it worse. I, they definitely made it worse. All the kids in our school were trading their milk for tteokbokki or other food from street vendors. But then one of her classmates finds out that she's doing this, and he blackmails her. He tells her that if she doesn't do all of his penmanship homework, he'll tell on her. He's going to rat her out. <laughs> He's threatening to snitch. He's threatening to snitch. Have you ever heard of so much drama in the second grade? All over milk and tteokbokki. Uh-huh. And so I was, I find myself standing in the moral crossroad of like being an upstanding citizen, come clean, be forgiven for my sins, or I continue this uh, illicit trade. And... Um, I, uh, all I got to tell you is that my handwriting is really beautiful. In December of 1991, my father said, do you guys want to move to United States? But it wasn't the word that he used wasn't really move. The word that he used was like, do you want to go to United States? So I didn't give a lot of thought. I was like, yeah, sure. So at 13, she left Korea and moved to the suburbs of New Jersey, where there is no more tteokbokki stalls, <laughs> you know, no more milk trades. And that's when she realized that she was really far away from her Korean roots. Um, and she was really far away from her extended family. Like, she grew up with a really big community of Korean people. She talked a lot about how they would get together and the holidays and cook together and it, have big meals, and she lost all of that. Everything I remember of Korean food was the little bit that I remember from, from my own experiences living there until age 13. Like, up until that point, Korean food was frozen in my head. And then she went to school in the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, where there was an even smaller Korean community. Back then, I think we had maybe two to three Korean restaurants. And I remember thinking that several dishes tasted the same. So I just knew that they had like one type of sauce that they made and they were just throwing that into every single dish. So I was eating it to scratch an itch or satisfy homesickness, but it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't great. When Jihae graduated from college, she lost her student visa. For years, she worked in hospitals just because they would sponsor her green card. But then she got married, and she no longer had to rely on a work visa to stay in the country. That was the first time that I was able to ask myself what it is that I actually want to do. So when that question came up to my head, that's when I started working at Zingerman's 
Zingerman's is a food institution in Ann Arbor. It opened in the 80s as a Jewish deli, and it's turned into a specialty food store where you can get like pâtés, salamis, aged cheese, and all kinds of premium foods. Like I was cheesemonger for a while, so first thing I would do when I go into the shop would be taste all the cheeses that I wanna like. I wanna focus on. I couldn't believe for a while that I was getting paid to learn about Parmigiano Reggiano and <laughs> the balsamic balsamic vinegar makers. So we were constantly tasting stuff. Oh, so you got to eat the Parmesan right out of the wheel, right when I crack it. That's an amazing thing. Yeah. I feel like I've only had it once and it's dreamy. It is amazing. And I was so good at cracking it so that (laughs) there was not a lot of uh, crumbs. Uh Like I would crack it exactly. But that's when I started wondering, like, you know, what if it was like this for Korean food? What if somebody knew about Korean food, the history of it, the ingredient, the artisanal makers, traditional methods, all the recipes and the pairings? Because I'm doing it for Italian food or French food, but not for Korean food. And I go to a, I go to a Korean grocery store and I speak the language. But if I ask like questions like, where is this gochujang coming from? Or is this made with traditional sweet rice? Or is this made with barley like? from that like a mountain region in Korea, they'll just tell me to read the ingredient list. That is something that is missing in anything outside of French, Italian, and a little bit of Spanish. When you present food in that way, that's when it really feels valuable. Mm -hmm. You know, you're elevating it when you give it that respect and you know everything about it. With this idea in mind, Jihei decided to open her own restaurant. There was just one problem. She didn't know how to cook Korean food. She grew up eating it, but her mom never taught her how to cook it. So Jihei taught herself, and she did a lot of research in the process. I needed to know what my ancestors did and how it changed over the centuries for me to really understand Korean cuisine. So then I just started looking at um, old Korean cookbooks. One thing she quickly learned, Korean food is very regional and seasonal. So here we have four seasons, but in Korea... The year is divided into 24 different seasons. They take seasonality to a whole new level. She decided to honor that by creating a menu with local seasonal ingredients in Michigan. But she knew that if she started messing with traditional dishes, it might upset some people. That's another reason why she was doing all this research. She wanted to make sure her food was backed up by history. I wanted to be able to defend it. Yes, I understand that very much. <laughs> yeah, it was like a reaction to potential uh-huh. Yelp review. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I like to have all the yeah. information so I can also have an, a defense. Yeah, so I was getting my ducks in a row, uh-huh. uh, get the historical evolution of the dish ready in my head to just like expound on if somebody challenged my dish. Coming up, Jihei continues her research and makes a discovery that she thinks gives her permission to do whatever the hell she wants with tteokbokki. Then her restaurant opens and she takes on the haters. Stick around. It's time to open up a can of advertisements. The weather's warming up. Have you nailed down your summer travel plans yet? I can tell you, we're working on ours and things are booking up, which is why you should be thinking about Norwegian Cruise Line. They have been raising the standards of cruising for more than 55 years. 
Let me tell you, when you cruise with NCL, you get award-winning specialty restaurants, immersive entertainment, and the most thrilling experiences at sea. Now, look, one of the great things about cruises in general is that you can visit and explore all kinds of different destinations, all with the ease of unpacking your bag just once. But Norwegian Cruise Line, they take cruising to another level and they take food to another level. With no set dining and entertainment times and no formal dress codes, you have the flexibility to design your ideal vacation. They have an incredible variety of truly authentic and fresh dining and bar experiences complemented by exceptional service. Listen to this. There are up to eight complimentary and nine specialty dining options per ship and up to 23 bar and lounge options. Come see why NCL's guest first philosophy means exceptional service and unforgettable memories. Book your next vacation at ncl.com. A few years back, my friend Justin Warner from Food Network moved out to South Dakota. He opened a ramen joint, and he is always posting pictures of all the great food he's not only cooking, but eating all over South Dakota. He's always telling me to come visit. And you know, one of the best ways to experience a new place is to eat your way through it. But it's equally important to live your way through it, too. And when you summer in South Dakota, you can fill up on all the lake days, hikes, rides, and small-town strolls that'll leave you with a regained sense of wonder and a hunger to do it all over again. See why there's so much South Dakota, so little time at Travel South Dakota. Dakota.com. I just got a very wonderful shipment of goodies from the folks at Reese's. And let me tell you something. These people remain the absolute worldwide leaders in bringing together chocolate and peanut butter. Of course, we know that peanut butter cups remain transcendent. But have you tried the Reese's sticks? Their wafers with peanut butter in between each wafer, all coated in chocolate. I mean, the combination of sweet chocolate and salty peanut butter just brings people joy. And the folks at Reese's do it better than anyone. So shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you. Found wherever candy is sold. Welcome back to Deep Dish. I'm Sola. And I'm Ham. And hey, Ham, did you know that I have a cookbook out called Start Here? You mean the cookbook that's perfect for both beginners and advanced cooks because there's something to learn for everybody? Absolutely. And I'm currently on tour. I will be in L.A., January 25th and January 28th. Then I'm heading to San Francisco, January 29th, Portland, the 31st. And the grand finale of my book tour will be in Seattle, February 1st. Come, come see me one of these days. Why the hell not? For all the tour dates and more info, head over to my website, hellosola.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. Ham, earlier I said that if you want to look at the history of Tokboki, you can also see the history of Korea. And if you want to understand Korean history, the first place to look is on a map. There is this phrase that says, Korea is like the shrimp that's sandwiched between big whales. And it's because it borders China, it borders Russia, and there's Japan on the other side. So we're strategically located for big, powerful countries to want to colonize us, or at least uh, impart some strong influence on Korean peninsula. For centuries, China had a huge cultural influence on Korea, on its art, religion, language, and food. Jihei was looking at old cookbooks to find the roots of Korean cooking. What she found was that these cookbooks fell into two separate categories, in two different languages. Some are originally written in Chinese, which is a language of scholars, and and to that extent, language of men, because only men are really allowed to be scholars. And then some of them are written in Korean, which is considered lowly written system. It's considered language of uh, women. 
There were recipes in both kinds of books, but different kinds of recipes. The Chinese books had recipes for fancier foods, so you could only access those dishes if you were a man from the educated upper class. It was out of reach for most Koreans. The Korean language books had recipes for what we think of as home cooking, and it was geared more towards women. And these books were looked down upon. In the early 1800s, a dish showed up in one of these books, and that dish looked a lot like tteokbokki. And guess what? That book is written in Chinese. Tteokbokki started out as the food of royalty. So the food that nowadays is on the level of hot dogs and pizza used to be the food of kings and queens. Yeah, and it looks very different from what you find on the street today. It was dish of the royal family because they added all these rich ingredients, mm -hmm. beef and soy sauce and bunch of vegetables. So it was, a, it was a fancy dish. This was luxe. It was expensive. And it makes sense that it was royal food because it was so hard to make. It took three adult men to make the rice cakes from scratch. There's two guys with mallets. And they were taking turns pounding the rice. There's like a guy that's crouched on the ground. He has the dangerous job. And then the guy who's squatting down will, like, fold it. Mm -hmm. Another guy will hit it. And all I keep thinking is, man, if you just, like, mess up one beat. You kill someone. Or you break their hand. Technique tells you a lot about whether something is, like, fancy or not. Because mm -hmm. back then, you just had a burner with no control over the heat. Maybe it was a fire pit. So everything was braised. Everything was braised or boiled or simmered. But tteokbokki in the royal court was sautéed. In fact, tteokbokki means sautéed rice cake in Korean. And sautéing was more upscale in these times because it required, you know, more control over the heat level. Special equipment. Precision. It's easy for one person to do a bunch of different braises because you kind of, it's like a, the set it and forget it cooking method. As long as the pot doesn't go dry, it'll be fine. Exactly. But like a sauté, you need to be vigilant. You need to be active. You need to be present. And you need a proper pan. There was one more big difference from the tteokbokki of today. In the royal court, there was no gochujang because chili peppers hadn't been introduced to Korea yet. And that means that a lot of Korean foods looked very different back then. The national dish of Korea that everybody hangs on to like it's our bloodline, kimchi, didn't look like what it looked like even 100 years ago. Right, right. Yeah. So it was, it was pale back then. Yeah, it was pale for a long time, and then chili flakes gets incorporated in there. And then also, napa cabbage is Chinese vegetable. So there was like a, a large form bok choy kind of a vegetable that we used, but it wasn't like napa cabbage like we do these days. So the original kimchi was more of this bok choy fermented. Yeah, I would say it's more akin to like a spiced sauerkraut that has ginger and, uh, lots of ginger mm. and garlic than, than uh, kimchi now. I feel like you go to anyone, including Koreans, like, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of kimchi? And it's going to be the red Napa cabbage kimchi. Uh -huh. That's the standard kimchi banchan that you get on your table, really at any Korean restaurant that you go to. So it's really interesting to hear that it was not that old. It's not that old. And like people defend these things so aggressively. But the fact is, like, all of these things are always changing. And it, and it does worry me a little that we, we are going to end up in a place where we're stuck and afraid of evolving because we're trying so hard to preserve these things that actually have always been changing. In 1910, everything changes again. 
Japan colonizes Korea, the royal courts come to an end, and Korea's food supply takes a huge turn. The Japanese take over rice production in Korea and import almost all of Korea's rice to Japan. That means there wasn't enough rice to feed people in Korea, so Japan imports other grains into Korea. Koreans are forced to make tteokbokki with wheat instead of rice. In the 1960s, after the Japanese occupation and the Korean War, South Korea's food system is in bad shape. The government wants to redevelop its rice supply, but to do that, it puts strict quotas on rice in Korea. Street vendors are expanding. More and more people need quick and filling food as they rebuild the country, and tteokbokki starts appearing in street carts. But it's still being made with wheat, not rice. And in fact, that was Jihei's first experience with tteokbokki as a kid. It was less chewy than rice cakes and was soft. And the texture is like just comfort itself because it's slightly overcooked because it's been sitting in the vat for a while. It's a, It has a little chew to it, but it's mostly like pillowy, like gnocchi. And there's another big change. Gochujang, which is now popular in Korea, starts getting added to the recipe. There is like a, a rumor about how it happened that I absolutely do not believe. What's, what's the rumor? <laughs> The person who claims that they originated the tteokbokki that you see these days as a street food with gochujang is a woman named uh, Ma Bong-seok. The story is that she she had like a, a soy sauce-based tteokbokki and then by accident it felt like one of the pieces fell into gochujang and then when she tasted it, it was good. So <laughs> she, started ma- yeah, she started making it. That sounds like nonsense. That's absolute nonsense. That's, that's complete nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Yeah. It's just, it's like... There's so many stories like that. We're like, oh, it just fell. Yeah. But I mean, it, sure, it's a nice story. I could see the visual, the splash. Mm-hmm. Gets it, gets it on her, on her shirt. Yeah. And she's like, oh no, you stupid tteokbokki! Look at what you've done to me. Uh-huh. I'm gonna eat you as as revenge. Uh-huh. Then you eat it, and then you get like the swelling music in the background. Doves fly into the kitchen and surround her, and then it's her big moment. The ratatouille moment. Uh huh. I was thinking more simply irresistible. Oh, that's a good one. That kind yeah. of that kind of magic. Well, I mean, whether that's true or not, the gochujang adds a lot of flavor. So if you're going to take away all these expensive ingredients like the beef and the mushrooms, um, gochujang is a cheap way to make it taste really good. And because street vendors needed to make this food ready to order, instead of the saute, they braced. So then it becomes more like a soupy, made in bulk, like scoop and serve kind of a dish. But in the late 1980s, tteokbokki changes again. There's a rising sense of nationalism in the country, that Koreans should be eating more food from Korea. There's movement to eat more rice, and tteokbokki switches from wheat back to rice. And then I remember the switch. I remember the rice cakes tasting differently in the like 88, 89, thinking like this is not the one that I had a while ago. And sometimes uh, Korean people can divide themselves into the wheat cakes uh, people or the rice cakes people for tteokbokki. So there you have it. At long last, the recipe for tteokbokki is settled once and for all. Rice cakes, gochujang. And it'll never change again, right? Really? Wrong. First time I saw a different version of tteokbokki was when I went to Korea in about 10 years ago, and we went to a restaurant, and they had tteokbokki, but made with Italian sauces. Mm-hmm. So there was like a gorgonzola pasta version of tteokbokki. 
And then now, one of the more more popular uh, variation of tteokbokki that's a modern invention is they call it rosé tteokbokki. So it's basically gochujang cream sauce. What does that mean? It's kind of like, uh, I like to think of it as uh, penne ala vodka. (laughs) So it's like a gochujang sauce with cream in it. Okay, okay. So it's like their vodka sauce. It's like their vodka sauce. That's really funny. Uh, you know, gochujang is so spicy and salty that, like, mellowing out with cream sounds, like, perfect. Mm-hmm. And it'll turn it, it really, it's really ve- smooth, too, so it'll incorporate into a sauce like that really well. By the time Jihei finished all her research, her perception of her beloved dokboki was very different. So as Jihei prepared to open her restaurant, she took all this research and knowledge and channeled it into her dokboki dishes. So first one is a street-style tteokbokki, so it's gochujang-based. It has scallions, pork belly, and a slow-cooked egg, so it's definitely more of a modern version of street-style tteokbokki. And then um, we have royale-style, which is more inspired by the, the older version, so it's, it's pan-fried with seasonal vegetables, and uh, we get really beautiful, many different kinds of mushrooms from a local mushroom company, so shiitake mushrooms or maitake or shimeji mushrooms. And just like in the royal court, this is soy sauce-based. No gochujang here. And then the third one that we're going to put on the menu is the, the most irreverent version of it. We're going to deep fry the rice cake so it's extra crispy on the outside, and then we're going to toss it in miso and butter or doenjang and butter. And then we're going to grate some... Um, uh, Parmesan Reggiano on top, and then like a heavy dose of pepper, and it it mimics uh, flavors of cacio e pepe so mm-hmm. much because that fermented soybean paste brings the funk that pecorino romano would have brought mm-hmm. in. So it's salty and peppery and very very satisfying. It's like Jihei is making a zingerman's but for Korean food right at her restaurant. She'll teach you about tteokbokki in all the different menu options, just like she taught customers about Parmesan Reggiano. But what would purists think? So when Jihei opened Miss Kim, she was worried about the older generation, like criticizing her takes on tteokbokki. But the feedback has been very surprising. One of the parents who came for his daughter's uh, law school graduation, like called me out of the kitchen wanting to talk to me. So I was like, oh my God, he's going to hate the food. And then I came out, he's like, I wanted to meet you because I gave my daughter my credit card and all I see is Miss Kim, Miss Kim, Miss Kim, Miss Kim on the (laughs) statement. And I can see that your restaurant is not cheap. So I wanted to personally experience what she was using my money for. And I really enjoyed it. He's like, it tastes really homemade, so I really like it. And he's probably thinking, this is a street food. Why, Why are you playing so much for street food? Like she said, she was using these special sourced mushroom, these really delicious local seasonal ingredients. Those things are not cheap. Well, our biggest pushback when we had a restaurant was complaints about the price. But uh, everything was market, local, organic, made in-house. We made our cheese. Who makes their cheese? (laughs) We almost got a divorce because you were spending too much on French fried potatoes. And lettuce. And lettuce. Oh, my gosh. So much money on lettuce. But it is, it's like frustrating when people say that it's not cheap because I don't think people understand what goes into the food that they're eating. But so this dad wasn't complaining about authenticity or whatever. And Jihei finds that the real complaints at a restaurant aren't coming from people like him. The biggest um, pushback that I, I get is usually from 
Korean Americans of their 30s who either haven't traveled much or they have very strong nostalgia for the food that their mother or grandmother made for them when they were going to school in United States. And often the most uh, common refrain is, uh, it doesn't taste like my mom's cooking. I am not surprised that most of the pushback is coming from Korean Americans in their 30s. A lot of people who grow up eating one type of food assume that that is the only way to make it because they haven't experienced it enough where they've tried different varieties. Cuisine isn't static. Like as this has shown us, Uh tteokbokki has changed in so many different ways over time. And they're all still tteokbokki. Okay, so I'm really excited now that I have this license to be free with tteokbokki. So I'm going to make a cacio e pepe tteokbokki in our kitchen. That's exciting. Yeah, we're going to go Italian. That's after the break. Hope you're hungry, because it's time for some ads. In the Pashman household, we're already big fans of Tillamook shredded cheese. In fact, I used it in developing many recipes in my cookbook. And now I'm getting into their ice cream. Tillamook ice cream is made with more cream, so you get smooth and dreamy scoops each time. You may not realize it, but this is why a lot of the store-bought ice cream doesn't taste the same as what you get in, like, in an ice cream parlor. But with Tillamook, they don't skimp on the cream. These people know dairy, okay? Tillamook makes a great, rich vanilla ice cream with real crushed vanilla bean seeds. They have an Oregon strawberry, sweet strawberry ice cream with ripe Oregon strawberry pieces. The one that I really love is the mudslide flavor, a smooth chocolate ice cream with a ribbon of rich fudge and chocolatey chips. You want to move the spoon around to get fudgy and chocolatey chips and the ice cream all in the same bite each time, and it's just so, so nice. And like I said, I just trust Tillamook when it comes to dairy. They make over 200 different dairy products, and the brand is farmer-owned and led by dairy experts. Find Tillamook ice cream near you at Tillamook.com. That's T-I-L-L-A-M-O-O-K.com. I enjoy a nice glass of wine, but I don't pretend to be an expert in wine. I usually just want a wine that's high quality, delicious, and not too expensive. And to me, that's Bogle Family Vineyards. And here's the thing about Bogle. This is a third-generation family-owned winery from California that makes exceptional wines for about 10 bucks a bottle. Bogle wines consistently earn Best Buy designations and high ratings from wine enthusiasts. And let me tell you something. The folks at Wine Enthusiast, they drink a lot of wine. They drink a lot of fancy, expensive wine. And yet they still keep giving great ratings to Bogle. And Bogle Vineyards has so many different kinds of wine. Whatever your mood, whatever you're eating, there's a wine for you. they got this great Pinot Grigio that's crisp and fruity, goes well with spicy foods, with fish. They have a classic Chardonnay that's balanced, amazing, with a pork tenderloin or butter chicken. I like to take that Chardonnay and do what Jacques Pepin taught me, a couple of ice cubes in your glass of Bogle. If Jacques Pepin says it's okay, then it's okay. And there's the Bogle Pinot Noir, refined and elegant with bright fruit and about as food-friendly as a red wine can be. You're not going to believe it's only $10. Neither will your friends if you tell them. So pick up a few bottles of Bogle wherever you buy your favorite wines. Please drink responsibly. Are you ready for warmer weather? I know I am. But is your wardrobe ready? I just stocked up on spring and summer clothing at Quince. And let me tell you something. I'm feeling great about everything I got. I got a couple of short sleeve button-down shirts, polo shirt, some shorts. Everything feels great. It's super high quality. And I can't believe how much stuff I got at a reasonable price. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves, like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part? 
all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. Whatever you need for the spring and summer, Quince has your back. Upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash sporkful for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sporkful to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash sporkful. I'm Ham. And I'm Sola. Welcome back to Deep Dish, our collaboration with our friends at the Sporkful podcast. While you're here, check out their show. If I could sum up the Sporkful, I would say it's fun food stories, food interviews, told by usually people who know what they're talking about. It's not for foodies. It's for eaters. And if you're looking for a Sporkful episode to start with, check out Dan's interview with Aubrey Gordon, the co-host of the podcast Maintenance Phase. It's an episode all about the fat liberation movement and debunking diet culture. It's a great conversation. Aubrey is super smart and hilarious. That one came out just a couple weeks ago, so find it wherever you're listening to this one. Okay, let's get back to the show. Sola, what are you making for us? So I'm going to do cacio pepe thokboki, which is a way that we do eat it a lot. So I already defrosted and like gave it a quick boil, and then I tossed it in some olive oil. And now I'm going to pop it in a nonstick skillet and crisp it up. I'm going to give it a saute first because I love getting the outside a little bit crunchy. And as we learned, boki means saute. I'm just going to toss it around a little um, in this olive oil and it's going to get a little blistery and a little brown. I, like I just have it all in a pan because I'm, I just want to On eat. top of each other. Yeah, well, and it's, it's in like roughly one layer. Is roughly it? One la- yeah, I'd say so. But like when Han does it, he puts one at a time, turns it with tweezers, gets like perfect 30, 60 degrees of like crunch, but then you end up with like six pieces after 20 minutes. What if you use a bigger pan? This is the biggest nonstick skillet we have. And it looks like that corner is three layers. What are you doing? Three layers <laughs> high. Get out of here. Stop trying to make me sound bad. <laughs> In general, when it comes to like snacks, ham is like way more intense than me. And I just want to get to the snack faster. Like, I don't see the point in having a bad snack. I'd rather not snack than have a bad snack. Oh, you're starting to see some color on them. And they, as they crisp, they kind of puff up along the edges too. And you can hear it sounds like drier and they're kind of like... Scraping. Uh-huh. Um, so now, we sauce. So I, uh, I forgot to save my pasta water, so we're just using water and it's gonna be fine. So I'm turning down the heat. So now that I have like a nice little bit of browning, I'm gonna turn the heat down to low and I'm gonna add a lot of pepper because you wanna toast that pepper a little bit. Kind of a coarse grind. And as soon as it hits that pan, that little bit of dried heat, whew, it gets spicy. It's kind of crazy, like pepper is a pretty common ingredient, but it's very complex depending on how you use it. Okay, that's clearly toasty. <clears throat> so I'm gonna add some water. Now that I've added the water, those little bits of rice cakes that were sticking aren't sticking. And like basically we're making like a bermonte, which is when you just emulsify butter into water. And it's like the basis for a lot of sauces. I'm gonna add a bunch of grated parm and then a couple knobs of butter. And we're gonna stir and it's gonna get creamy. And if it doesn't look creamy, 
maybe you need to splash more water. A lot of times, if your sauce doesn't look right, the answer is just more water. You want gentle bubblage, and it's like already super creamy. Wow, and no pasta water needed. No pasta water needed. I mean, it's nice to use the pasta water, but the fact is it's like really gonna be fine. Actually, more important than your pasta water is how you grate your cheese. That's something no one talks about enough. You need to make sure you grate your cheese on the small side of a box grater. Mm -hmm. I love a microplane, but it's too fine and it clumps. Like it should be the texture of the stuff that comes in the can. Mm -hmm. Wow, that looks... That looks great. That looks super glossy, creamy, emulsified. Okay, we're gonna taste. Such a quick snack. So quick. It's quick. You can make things quickly. Wow, super glossy. So saucy. So cheesy. Should we taste? Yeah, let's taste. Mm. It's really good. Mm -hmm. It's really cheesy. Mm -hmm. The sauce is perfectly emulsified. It coats the tteokbokki beautifully. And you can't beat that chew. What I really like about this is that the flavor of the cheese combined with the texture of the tteokbokki, you feel like you're just eating sticks of cheese. <laughs> You know? Mo mozzarella sticks? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talking with Jihei gave me a new appreciation for tteokbokki and got me really excited about where it might go next. Like thinking about the dish and, and changing it slowly and, and being thoughtful about it has always been part of the tradition. And I think there is a responsibility attached to that. You have to understand the story of that dish and you cannot understand the story of that dish if you don't understand the story of the people who are cooking and eating that dish. Learning that tteokbokki is, has always been changing and evolving, learning that was just so liberating. It feels liberating. <laughs> is your mom still around? Has she had your tteokbokki? Yeah, she says it's okay. She says it's okay, <laughs> even with all these vegetables? She will never, ever admit that anybody else is better cook in Korean food. <laughs> oh, wow. It's on brand. I think saying that it's okay is like high praise. Yeah. Right? Yeah. With with a straight face, no smile. Yeah, yeah, that's as good that, as it gets. That's a that's that's high praise. I don't even know if I've gotten an okay yet. <laughs> Have you gotten an okay from your dad? I think I've gotten an okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much to Jihae Kim. If you're in Ann Arbor, go check out her restaurant, Miss Kim. And if you want the recipe for my cacio e pepe tteokbokki, <laughs> we'll be posting it on Instagram. I'm at Sola E. And I'm at Hammogram. You can find The Sporkful on Instagram at The Sporkful. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Deep Dish, right here in The Sporkful feed. If you missed our first episode, it starts off with two dead bodies and a trunk full of tamales. You don't want to miss it. That kind of sounds like a band. A band or like a uh, Coen Brothers movie. Two dead bodies and a trunk full mm -hmm. of tamales. Uh -huh. right. Coming to a theater near you. Mm -hmm. It's in our feed right now. You can also check out some recent Sporkful episodes, including Dan's conversation with Aubrey Gordon. This episode was produced by Andres O'Hara. With help from Dan Pashman. And Emma Morgenstern. Editing by Nora Ritchie. Camille Stanley. And Josh Richmond. Sound engineering by Jared O'Connell. Our executive producers are Dan Pashman, Nora Ritchie, and Colin Anderson. Original theme music by Casey Holford. 
and additional music from Black Label Music. Deep Dish is a production of Sporkful Media and Stitcher Studios. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 